you, Kevin. Thank you. Well, Elizabeth is in Aruba today, and she's already preached. Thank you. Today, and said it went very well. Women's conference. And um, <clears throat> so I'm glad she's getting that opportunity. It's very good for her. All right. I want you to open your Bibles, please, to 1 Kings 19. And I'm going to do a little review, then tell you where we're going. I'm picking up where I started a couple of weeks ago. Last week, I was in a conference in Vegas. Good news is, it looks like, apart from something unexpected taking place, that at least for the next 10, 12 weekends in a row, um, I'm with you. And so we can build on things God is uh, doing and saying among us. And we're excited about that. And... I said I was starting a series of victory over Jezebel, and we began that a couple of weeks ago, and, and part of the generation of even that topic was from when Stacy Campbell and Catherine Nuanala were with us, and Stacy Campbell began to prophesy over Elizabeth and I, and speaking of a Jehu spirit, and about a confrontation of Jezebel, and... This, uh, this study is getting into so much more and deeper than I even imagined. And um, because of that, I don't know how smooth it will go tonight. And I don't expect to finish it. And so uh, after some point, I'll just uh, stop for the night and we'll pick up on it again. But it really, uh, there will be some application for every single person. Some of you may identify with everything. It was interesting two weeks ago when I described and I, and I reduced the description of normal of Jezebel and what she does and who she is because you hear Jezebel preached about many churches. It's pretty much if anybody argues about anything, it's Jezebel. And so I was trying to really focus and hone in on a real thin line of what it means to, to be uh, uh, attacked and, uh, and, and, you know, signaled by, by Jezebel what that feels like and to have those who felt like they had experienced that to come up. And virtually everybody that was here two weeks ago came up front. And so that uh, confirmed that we are a prophetic church and so, therefore, all are feeling, or all or most are feeling, feeling some attack in that way. And there's going to be application towards you as an individual, and there'll be application towards understanding our battle in this city, in the city of Atlanta. And in another week or two, whenever we get there, we will focus more on the city of Atlanta and why this is a uh, a headquarters. For Jezebel, not the headquarters, but why Jezebel has been a major ruling principality here in this city. And again, we're not emphasizing the giants or the enemy. It's why the series is victory over Jezebel. We believe this is a time and season where the Lord's saying to really be properly aggressive and not to be intimidated anymore by Jezebel. So we really want to have that be our focal point, our focus. But as as I'm studying and seeing into the matter of Jezebel and the story 
the storyline, multiple chapters there of Elijah, Elisha, Jehu, and all that is taking place and the confrontations with Baal and, 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 and you know, the, we, we didn't even, at this time, we haven't focused on 1 Kings 18. That's not part of this teaching. That's been before as it relates to another message in general on spiritual warfare. There was the victory over the, the prophets of Baal where Elijah was able to call fire from heaven. But in describing these chapters and this battlefield, this battlefront, we're really describing uh, even the battle that's taking place on planet Earth now. So in, in some way or another, everyone, the whole world is experiencing this in some level or another. And I would have to say that it seems like Jezebel is more the primary principality operational in the world overall, particularly if we're talking about the lead nations or Western nations. And where we see this influence uh, being that which dominates and, and, you know, the mountain of celebration, arts and entertainment and music and movies and, and the, you know, that all that whole field really is, is dominating in, in the world culture scene right now. And so there's application to the nations and, and breaking through into seeing the victory of the kingdom of God in a practical way and in practical ways here on earth as it relates to this message on victory over Jezebel. So if you are involved in arts and entertainment, the mountain of celebration, we have some people that listen to these messages in Hollywood, this will be applicable. If you're just prophetic and a prophet or prophetic in various different manifestations of that, you will, again, this will uh, have resonance with you and for you. And then if you're just observing what's taking place in society itself, it will be applicable. If you've heard me teach on the Joseph message, I say that on the seven mountains of society, the seven sectors of society, government, family, media, economy, all these other sectors of society, where we're called to bring the kingdom of God, that if you go about up three quarters up the mountain of everyone, you hit the Potiphar's wife line. And I can't go into that uh, again, but it's basically where, where Joseph was, first of all, accosted by Potiphar's wife repeatedly day in, day out. And when he did not bow, then she determined that he's a threat. And so, therefore, he now had to be, uh, you know, blackmailed, lied about. Uh, he wasn't really black. He was blackballed more than anything. And, and so, uh, you know, he, he ended up suffering consequences from that. But in every area of society, as you advance, you enter this place where there is a line where in some way or another, there will be uh, some attack of what will be really Jezebel, even on all the mountains. And she will look in, in, uh, in different ways, depending on what mountain she's in. But we're going to uh, again, we'll, we'll see how much the Lord allows, helps us tonight to, to cover. But I, I think it's, a, it's very important so we understand both how the enemy operates so that we can come in the opposite spirit and what is available to us to fight at this time and to have victory at this time. Now, for those of you who are hearing this for the, for the first time, the briefest of, uh, of, of reviews is that Jezebel is a, a, a principality or um, it's, a, it's a name given to a, a demonic uh, personality or structure uh, that has a primary mission to seduce and kill prophetic voices. 
are prophetic manifestations of glory. Again, that's why it can happen in arts and entertainment also. And it can help in to uh, uh, prophetic voices. And that means those who are hearing and carrying the live word of God and speaking it. That which she is saying and releasing that. And again, there's multiple applications and, uh, of the prophetic and how that takes place. And so it's not just that Jezebel is seductive and seduction and, and about uh, sexual seduction. That's in general, that's what Jezebel is doing in society in general. But it has a specific focus and mission to silence prophetic voices and prophetic personalities and prophetic giftings. And so it will often team with religious, religious spirit. There is, uh, so Jezebel will come in either seduction or a religious spirit or some combination of the two. And, and so we want to be aware of it. But the purpose is, is to shut, disable the voice that would stand against them and release the kingdom of God against them. We, uh, we mentioned in our first message that there were seven, uh, there were seven topics that we were covering and the topics we began with is who or what is Jezebel. And I just told you about that now. Then we went into what strengthens Jezebel. If you want to hear about that, get the first message. And what does a Jezebel attack feel like? Again, you can get uh, the first message as it, as it relates uh, to that also. Again, we're going to kind of just pick and in, 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 I'm going to like popcorn out of my notes different places. And I believe it will still make sense and we'll come to a ministry time. But when Jezebel determines you are actually a threat, then she sends you a message. And uh, if you remember, reminding you the context of the story overall, Elijah took out Baal, the prophet Elijah, 1 Kings 18, Again, for those of you who are clueless about, here's the storyline. Ahab is the king of Israel. Jezebel is his wife. It was a politically motivated relationship. She came from Phoenicia, and she was, and her dad was a priest of Baal. But it was going to be, it was a political, it would strengthen Israel's position. And so Ahab took Jezebel and then took all her gods with her. That's an insight right there. Spirit of politics or the spirit of control, whichever one you want to call it. Politics or control works closely also with Jezebel. And so Ahab's opening, what made him open was that he decided in that area for very specific for us, instead of leaning on the Lord, if you want to say, for his strength, he leans on a political uh, uh, um, control aspect. This is the way it's going to strengthen him. So he opens himself up to things he would not have had in his life. And so she's the one that brought Baal worship uh, in a massive way into Israel. And so Elijah is the prophet of that day. And he confronts, and if you remember, he calls fire from heaven and it consumes the altar. He had called all the people of Israel to a showdown and said, let's find out who really is God. Is it Baal or is it God? The way Baal operates, Baal doesn't demand to be the only one worshiped. Baal is perfectly fine. There being two that there are more Baal's like, as long as there's some attention. So Jezebel wasn't insisting on, uh, against the God of Israel. It's just 
Baal also. And so there's this double-mindedness, but more and more we're beginning to believe Baal was the God to the point that only 7,000 had not kissed Baal or bowed down to Baal, we find out later. So this was a, a, a massive work that Jezebel had done. And so Elijah said, whoever is the God who answers by fire, he is God. And so the prophets of Baal tried their stuff. It didn't work. Elijah did his stuff. It did work. Fire came from heaven. Massive victory. Elijah personally killed the 450 prophets of Baal. Up to this point, he had just maybe been a nuisance, but he was now a threat. So I told you we would look at 1 Kings 19, the first verse says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done also, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. So there is, uh, there is uh, these levels. I wrote down there's four levels we could have with Jezebel. And one is where you're just basically subject to her or a pawn to her. Number two is you incidentally affect her. You're doing some things. Number three is you get promoted and you're now a nuisance. Uh, but then number four is where you're actually a threat. And when she knows, when this power, these powers and principalities know that you're actually a threat to their existence, then you have her undivided attention. And uh, this is the place that Elijah came to and so she now will target him at a threat level and ultimately her goal is in all those that she decides are a threat is to turn them into a king pawn not just a pawn but a king pawn happens in hollywood you know there there are those that might initially there's so many that come from the church they carry a little bit of glory but the enemy targets them, turns that whole thing around, and then they become a king pawn, as it were, of the Jezebel release into the nations. Tonight, we want to talk uh, a little bit about, well, the remaining, I had mentioned the first three, and then there was the last four uh, uh, parts of our message we were going to uh, get into either tonight or subsequent nights. What protects from Jezebel was next on schedule. Who is susceptible to Jezebel as a target? Who is susceptible to Jezebel as a vehicle, like being one that's used by Jezebel? And then what is a Jehu anointing and how do you get it? I think tonight we're going to combine a little bit of what protects from Jezebel and the Jehu anointing. And um, again, this is meant to be very, uh, very practical and real and clear. And I think even though it's a prophetic message, it's not meant to be like hoo-ha, prophetic like that. I think even the world understands, you know, Jezebel kind of goes by even one word, one name in society. There's an understanding of uh, that influence and what it's, what it's about to some degree or another. And so we want to be aware that this is, this is really meant uh, to be practical. Um, if I don't know how many of you followed me. I was uh, on Twitter. I tweeted a couple of things about this message tonight. And I said that, you know, Jezebel, we're going to talk about Jezebel's SIM card. And, you know, you have SIM cards. Isn't that what you call it in your phones? Well, hers is a CIM instead of SIM. And we want to remember uh, this. I think it will head into our ministry time at the end. Because Jezebel's SIM card, her calling card, is 
C-I-M, three things, control, intimidation, and manipulation. Control, intimidation, and manipulation. This is how she will attack you, and this is how she will use you if you are under her influence. Now, what is, I guess, makes it difficult and why even some churches and movements, it becomes very unprofitable to talk about Jezebel again because they make it such a wide range of things. Anybody that has any problems at all, it's Jezebel. Anybody that's causing any problems at all, it's Jezebel. And there's almost shadow chasing in church and you develop a paranoid culture within the church. And that's why we're really, our focus is not primarily in the church. It's really outside. It's the combination of all. It's in the church, in society, mountain of celebration of arts and entertainment. And, and, and we want to uh, address it in, in that way. But uh, because the, there is a, all, all these things that we're talking about, the three, the CIM, the SIM card, control, intimidation, and manipulation, they're all a counterfeit leadership. For instance, control, the real, the good of that would be stewardship. And of course, someone who is a control freak would say they're being a good steward. And someone who's under a controlling aspect of Jezebel could say that. And so, but there is, that is a real, the real gift, but control is different. Stewardship is uh, our desire to properly use a gift that God has given us in control the spirit Jezebel and those under her use sensuality and or religion. And that's how you can tell that's part of the Jezebel control. There is a use of lust and death. Religion is death. Lust is sensuality. And so that's, the, that's where the control is, is coming from that's different. And so uh, we want to uh, recognize that. And maybe we'll have a couple points here in the story, well, that'll become more uh, obvious. The intimidation, there is, uh, you know, the, the true, the, the, uh, that's the counterfeit, the true, the real of intimidation is boldness, courage, resilience. So that's a good thing to have, but that's still, that's not, that's a variation from intimidation. That's not the same. We want to recognize it. And so in the intimidation, Jezebel uses sensuality and or religion uh, as part of her campaign. She uses lust and death. Ultimately, that's all Jezebel is about. It's uh, seductive and death. You'll see that influence in Hollywood, in movies and music and everything. It'll either be a seductive focus or death. And so there's, uh, you know, it's whether it's morbid themes, uh, suicide, death, violence, it's death, sensuality, death, sensuality. That's what Jezebel uses, but she uses that in the church also. It just looks just a little bit different. And, and, uh, whoever she has compromised is now her pawn. Manipulation, again, it was the third member there of her calling card. And the good of that, the real, would be persuasiveness. A team builder, you know, someone who, who can uh, um, get people to work together would be a team builder, persuasive. That's all good. But it's just a slight step across and you're into manipulation. Again, we want to be following uh, ch- shadow chasing here. And so 
the, the point here again is Jezebel is again using sensuality and or religion to manipulate with. So you'll have people that will come into church and be very spiritual and not use the seductive part of it. And it can be Jezebel. Or they'll come in and gain attention and even have a, a prominent place in a ministry not because not directly like they would in Hollywood that they're sleeping to the top, but they're having sensuality to the top. And so they have a sensual presence and the leader has an Ahab personality characteristic and he's just allowing this thing. He's like playing with fire, not actually, you know, participating with fire, but he's, it's, that's where it often heads into uh, if there is... It not recognized early enough. So just want to be aware of this. In the real, the motivation is that he must shine. The motivation of, of, of the real leadership gifts, it's all about him shining. It's all about the kingdom of God. In the counterfeit leadership that we just talked about of control, intimidation, manipulation, there is always a personal agenda. The person themselves needs to shine. And... and um, um, and that, that is just in all areas of, uh, that happens in, in society, in the church, arts and entertainment. And so there is a need for discernment and observation of overall fruit that can be necessary. want to make note here, and then we're going to get into the story that speaking of Joseph, the old Testament and from my book, he had the real package. He had the real of what Jezebel had the counterfeit of. He had stewardship, boldness, courage. He was a persuasive team builder. And, and, and he was, you know, he was successful with the Ishmaelite merchants. And then he was in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar put him over everything. So he knew how to run finances, administer things. But he also knew how, where people were to be positioned. Even when he went into overseeing the prison. He was doing the same thing. He was overseeing where people are. And so he, you, he had all the correct leadership traits. Um, and he, and, he, and he's, he's motivated out of personal character, not trying to see himself advance. And so that becomes way to recognize the difference, but he hit this threat level that I mentioned when he wouldn't yield to Potiphar's wife advances. And, and, and uh, this is just for many of you all of us. Sometimes the temptations you are able to resist tell Jesse, uh-oh, this person could go high and will not be able to be reined in by how we've compromised them earlier in life. And we just want to notice in society even now, how many present and past candidates, even for politics, political positions are disqualified when their history of the secret Potiphar's wife in their life comes to light. And so you have all these people, seems good, good, good. And then all of a sudden there's this report. And, and uh, that's playing out right now among the presidential candidates. And there's a report out there on Herman Cain. And, and we don't know if it's real or not. That's the, uh, you know, the brilliance of those who would attack know that that would be a brilliant attack against them. Because that would be something that would really uh, demean his character but if it's true, then it's not an acceptable aspect of his, uh, of his character. And so it becomes one of those things that we, uh, we must deal with on our way to the top. Because at the top, it'll be the way that Jezebel is able to rein, rein us in and, and even shut us out from what's supposed to be 
our destiny and call at that time. All right. Now, I want to, um, right before I start reading some of the story, we've already gone into it, but there's so much here. I want to remind you some of the meanings of the names, and uh, they're very simple. Elijah, his name is the Lord, he is God. And so when he was saying, let's determine, let's find out who is God. This is still, this is the battlefront. This is the battlefield for today. This is what's taking place and about to go into a whole nother gear this next 12th. Uh, 2012 in the spirit there is going to be this is going to be what is is going to resonate among the nations where God's going to go nation by nation and say you got to decide who is God and um, and so uh, you know there was that was the challenge from Elijah let's decide it's either Baal or God and it's not like both let's not be Christians but we can also do all these other things also we make a decision. Is it him and him alone or are these other things that uh, we're allowing to, to be a part of it? And so this is uh, the, the scenario. And when they, the people, when the fire was called down, they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It Also, they were saying, Elijah, Elijah, because his name means the Lord, he is God. So it's unclear if they were yelling out, Elijah, Elijah, or the Lord, he is God. Elijah. Uh, you know, he is, he is, he is God, but it seemed like it was a surprise to them. The Lord, he is God. And so that is the mission of the spirit of Elijah is to establish on the face of the earth over the face of the earth that the Lord, he is God. And so the, uh, uh, the, the, the revolution, the prophetic revolution, the seven mountain revolution, the Elijah revolution we're speaking about is a revolution, uh, that is over the installing of the supremacy of God in all, all the earth, where it is made clear to all lands, to all places, that the Lord, he is God, and he will work with his sons and daughters in that. Now, interestingly enough, Jehu, who is a future king and the one that ultimately takes out Jezebel, his name means Jehovah is he. Now, I don't know if you noticed how little difference there is between the Lord, he is God, and Jehovah is he. So he's on the same mission of the spirit of Elijah. And we'll find out really that the spirit of Elijah is not meant to just represent all that Elijah manifested because we already addressed where he had shortcomings and where he failed. But it really is this package deal of Elijah, Elisha, and Jehu. And they're all part of the spirit of Elijah, that which is establishing the supremacy of God in a very practical way among the nations. This is the working theme here. God and his people. And... Um, just going to just throw out some things before we get into the story. It'll be confirmed by the story and some things you've already heard. It's again, the big question we've been asking is how is it possible for Elijah right after this big victory, right after he has called for fire from heaven. Can you imagine having had that kind of authority and you did it in front of a whole nation where you felt God and you heard him so clearly and you had so much favor with him, you called fire down from heaven and it burned an altar in front of the whole nation. And then you personally could feel such an anointing on your life that you said, bring the prophets of Baal, I'll kill them myself. You know, it's not something we would step into the naturally more. But Elijah did all this, chapter 18. And then in chapter 19, we will find out, we already covered some, but we want to look at it some more. Is he, he's now despairing for his life because he got a message from Jezebel. Back to this thing of a message from Jezebel. We experienced and walked through that personally. We mentioned 
the experience with the church back in 1992 that we confronted. This was at that time the fastest growing church in America, but there was a core presence of Jezebel. I did mention the names last time. I won't do it this time. If you want names, you can go back and hear the tape from a couple weeks ago. But in that, when I wrote to the leader, the bishop, I couldn't meet with them. They wouldn't have a a meeting with me. So I wrote him a letter that I do know made it to him because I heard it, it rattled him tremendously. And I gave him five steps of repentance for his soul's sake because he would stand before God one day. Not to save his ministry, not to save uh, his reputation. This would be so when he stands before God, he doesn't go to hell. And uh, so it's pretty straightforward. And I was told by the people right around him at that time, uh, the church administrator asked to meet with me who had been there for 35 years. Uh, on, and he said, you know, I'm risking a lot by us meeting together. He says, but I wanted you to know that nobody has ever confronted this thing the way you did. I read your letter. I saw impact on him. He is very rattled by what you wrote. And I go, why are you still there then? And then he was, I can't go into that. <clears throat> but anyway, what followed shortly thereafter was a lawsuit. So I have knock on the door, letter, lawsuit for $24 million for confronting Jezebel. So a message was sent to me. I did not appreciate that. So it's okay. So there's different ways the message is sent, but it, you can feel it when, it, you know, the, the sting back of it is like, it, it, it wants to uh, grab you, the, the, the panic and anxiety and fear that wants to take a hold of you at that moment. I'm, uh, even as I speak, I, I, I feel, but, but my spirit rose up greater than that. And, uh, and there was something inside of me that had already been trained not to be intimidated by that. And so I literally have like something inside of me that rises up like this whenever there's this type of intimidation. And, and, and um, I think that's something of the uh, the spirit of Jehu that the Lord has uh, uh, placed uh, upon me in some ways. And uh, we'll get to that in a, in a minute more. So, Elijah speaks, we want to say Elijah speaks of the traditional prophetic. And I'm, I've been addressing this some, but there is a whole new prophetic, and I believe the time is now. Even Bob Hartley, my friend Bob Hartley, saw that 2010 was a time, I forget how he worded it, but a, a line drawn in the sand that a new type of prophetic had to arise. And these would be those who didn't see things and read things the same way the other ones did. It, these would be prophets of hope is the way part of his terminology uh, Bob Hartley would, would share. They would view things in a different way. They would see things in a different way. And, but Elijah speaks of the traditional prophetic. Very, it's passionate, emotional. They're feelers. They're sensors. Uh, they're like a, the eyeball, you know, your eyeballs. They're an immeasurably great gift, but a delicate gift to the body of Christ. Your eyeball, you know, it's very sensitive. Try poking it. But you don't need to do that right now. It's a, it comes in, a, you know, the traditional prophetic as a sensitivity gift that when not coupled with the Jehu anointing, and this is where it's going to be practical for some of you that are this personality, can leave you uh, with a life of major ups and downs, highs and lows, probably uh, diagnosable bipolar. <laughs> and and uh, I'm serious on, on that. 
and that would be how, how it affects you. You could be from that real sensitive package and, and you have these moments of encounters with God and being able to share out of that and they're very high. But then you, you can really, uh, there is a susceptibility. When you get the calling card back from, uh, from Jezebel, it, it knocks you down so low that, that uh, it could be diagnosable. And that's really not the point of this uh, message, but I should tell you that. Some of you identify with that. And we want to change. And you don't have to stay there is the good news. Um, Jehu represents, again, the extended, intended mission of the spirit of Elijah. Remember, because his name means the same. It's the spirit of the Lord. He is God. His name means Jehovah is he. Elijah's means the Lord. He is God. And this includes the work of Elijah, Elisha, and Jehu. All are part of the spirit of making the Lord. He is God. And um, we'll tell you several things about Jehu. His name represents several things, but one thing, it represents the apostolic anointing. That which, with, that which is ruthless with Jezebel. Again, there's so many stories within the story, but one of the side stories, Elijah would represent the prophetic, and then Jehu represent the apostolic. And, and uh, we have been in a season where the prophetic has been being... Um, restored to the house of God. And this is a time in particular, something about the timing of 2012, 12 is the number of government, the number of the apostolic. So we are right in that time where there is the restoration of the proper uh, apostolic in the way it's supposed to. We've been having in our lingo and there's people called apostles. And and again, uh, not many of them really are, but that's okay. I was trying to figure out a better way of saying that, but it's, couldn't quite. Um, and there is, you know, they must work together for Jezebel ultimately to be dismantled. Jezebel to be dismantled in society, in our nations, they must work together. We find out that even Jehu, he's operating later on without the prophets and he doesn't do good. So he doesn't end his life very well. And it's sort of the apostolic without the prophetic. And really what God is raising is this combination of apostolic prophetic where we have apostolic prophetic people. Where you simultaneously can see the big picture and you're endowed, kind of have this armor of the Jehu spirit, but you still see. Because we really need to be the combination of both. Not just be two different individuals, one who's the apostle, one who's the prophet. And, and I know there's a lot of teaching going on there about apostles and they find their prophets. And, and I, I agree that there's probably going to be one that tends more to being apostolic and one more towards prophetic. But ultimately... You cannot be an apostle with no prophetic and even know who's supposed to be your prophet. I mean, think about that for a moment. If you have no prophetic in you, how do you know if you just chose Jezebel or a prophet of God? You got to have some of that prophetic gifting yourself even to recognize the prophetic. And so it's like we must have it. You know, it's part of being friends with God and all that and hearing, hearing his voice. All right. Uh, you with me so far? Okay. <laughs> well, I didn't get to reading this yet. Like I said, we're just going to kind of popcorn here and there and go with it. But it, I feel like the Holy Spirit's helping us. What's also different about Jehu, again, keep your story straight. Jehu is going to be, is supposed to be the next king of Israel after Ahab. And... What makes him different and why we'll see he's fearless with Jezebel. 
It's amazing. Elijah calls fire from heaven and he despairs for his life because she sends a message. And Jehu didn't do anything. And he, Jezebel. He has zero respect for her, tramples over easily. There's not even drama to it. And so it's like, how is that possible? Again, part of it is what he represents, the apostolic, a new anointing. But Jehu is anointed by Elisha. He was actually supposed to be anointed by Elijah. We covered that, but Elijah didn't do that. And Elisha, he was the prophet that followed Elijah. There's Elijah and Elisha. His name means God is salvation. <laughs> There's so much always in the Bible as it relates to the names. And so it's all about everything is focusing on God. But this is what we are going about we are about to step into is the part two, uh, the spirit of Elijah as it rested upon Elisha. Because we'll read, we'll see that it was the spirit of Elijah that rested on Elisha. So we're not talking about something secondary. It's the same thing. It rested now on Elisha. Elijah didn't finish the assignments he had. And so they were passed on to Elisha and he did finish. And he was able to carry the anointing in a better way because of his uh, uh, foundation, what he came from. And, and so his name is God is salvation. But there's this verb salvation. It's a unique verb that is used for Elisha. The only time the name Elisha is used in the Bible is with this Elisha. And, and it, it also means, besides God is salvation, it also means free man. Man who has riches. And there is something, God is salvation. He, so, he gives you salvation. He makes you a free man. He provides for you. And so you're, you're an overcomer in that way. And, and, and we will see that in the life of Elijah. Again, it's still the extension of the spirit of Elijah. Because he receives the double portion of the spirit that is on Elijah. And, uh, but he's the vessel of a, 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 a character, a better character for lack of better, any other way of saying it. And again, Elisha anoints Jehu because though Elijah was commanded to do so, he did not. And Second Kings 2.15, you don't have to turn there, but it says, And all the prophets, the sons of the prophets said, Oh, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. So they recognized that that spirit of Elijah was now in an upgraded vessel. Some more about Elijah. Again, the purpose of this, you recognize the things that are in you that need to be upgraded. The part of you that it's Elijah that needs to be Elisha. Elijah represents the little bit of that which is unfathered. It's gifted. It's kind of the unfathered gifted loner. Um, has no one to turn to. Is the independent prophetic or the non-accepted prophetic. The prophet loner that goes around from church to church, group to group, trying to find somebody you know that believes in him. And, uh, and sometimes it's his fault. Sometimes it's the fault that, you know, nobody's believed in him. But he falls into despair easily because of this factor. And, and, and this is what we find out about uh, Elijah. So we just want to be aware of the Elijah, Elisha, Jehu characteristics. Again, all of this, I intend for there to be very personal application for all of our life, something that we can take away, how we can function besides talking about where we'll go into more even strategic as it relates to the city of Atlanta and its society itself and the seven mountains. But we want to look for um, 
the rest of our remaining time in 1 Kings 19. We've been there before, but I, I keep getting more and more revelation out of it. So I want to share with you uh, out of it. <clears throat> Reminding you, verse 1 was, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me more and also if I do not make your life as a life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. You know, it, it, what begs to be asked in that verse, if Jezebel can send a messenger to Elijah, why didn't she just send the killer to Elijah? It's because she operates out of intimidation. That's what she does. You will see to the end, she is operating in control, intimidation, and manipulation. So she was probably substantially scared herself of Elijah, knowing he just called fire from heaven. So she's herself not going to come and risk being burned to a crispy. And, and, but she sends a messenger that's disposable. And if he gets there, this is going to be the message he can leave. Verse 3. And when Elijah saw that, he rose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. There's so much just in that. He gets this threat. He's now in the threat level. So now Jezebel has his attention. He was just a nuisance that bugged Ahab before. But now he is clearly encroaching into the rule and reign of the entire nation. And so she makes this threat to him. And... A threat might we add that she didn't have authority to enforce. And he, he flees for his life and he went to Beersheba. There's so much in the Beersheba thing. And what it literally means, you know, Sheba means seven. And it, it means Beersheba is the well of the seven oaths. And this is a connection, not to connect everything to seven mountains, but this is what God does in society. He's about this whole confrontation with uh, Baal and Jezebel and all this, and the, and the raising up of the spirit of Elijah is, is about bringing to bear that which he has promised, that which is promised in the book of Revelation. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. And he's speaking of all these seven kingdoms of society. Kingdom of media, kingdom of government, kingdom of family, kingdom of economy, kingdom of arts and entertainment, kingdom of religion. All the kingdoms have become the kingdoms of our God. That is going to happen. It's already been seen. It's been declared. It's been seen. John's already been there in the spirit. Come back. And so Elijah has to be reminded of, uh, you know, he had to go back and look at the seven mountain prophecy. And he's looking there that God has promised this, but he's still under such an influence, so susceptible to Jezebel's threats that, uh, that he leaves a servant there. Interesting again, Beersheba belongs to Judah. It has to be the, the line of the tribe of Judah, the lion tribe, the worshiping, praising warrior tribe that really gets exposed and receives this message of how he's going to conquer in all areas of society. And he's there, but he leaves his servant there. Why does he leave his servant? Well, it means I'm done. That's a sign of he's no longer functioning as a prophet. He is done, so he leaves his servant there. We'll see consistently there's something about Elijah that is lacking. Is that he's always leaving his servant, trying to get his servants to leave, trying not to let anybody follow him. He has that loner tendency. 
And it's so interesting that it, the last chapter of the book of Malachi says that he will first send the spirit of Elijah and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the son, the sons to the father. That's all what it's all about. That was only fulfilled in Elisha because he struggled with that consistently, continuously. So he's done and his servant, and it doesn't even call him his spiritual son, but his servant, you'll see Elisha will talk about, he'll operate with the sons of the prophets, but Elijah works with the servants. And so he just has this problem relating in this way himself because he himself wasn't properly fathered. And that's been the mark of our prophetic so far up till now, by and large, 90 something percent of what we know as the prophetic in the body of Christ, the big names have been non-fathered, unfathered. Some of it, their fault, some of them, not their fault. It's just been the reality and they've carried grace and presence of the Lord, but there is a shift taking place now. So verse four, and he went himself a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. He's going to sweep himself under the carpet. And he prayed that he might die. Again, you just scratch your head at, at what's taking place. He's, he's gone. He, he takes off to the wilderness. Again, you'll see this is uh, the, the old style prophetic, that which is fading out, that which is being replaced. Love's going to the wilderness, to caves, to desolate places. It's a survival group. Again, he gets under a broom tree and he's requesting to die. This is astonishing. Four verses after personally killing 450 prophets of Baal and calling fire from heaven. Again, the context is just amazing. But Jezebel had an energy released against him and he did not have a shield. He did not have armor against it. And so it, was, it, it rattled him. The message rattled him. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. Another insightful line. For I am no better than my father or my fathers. I looked up, best I can tell from the original, it could have been father or fathers. The word ab. We get abba. It says, Lord, take my life. I am no better than my fathers. Again, some insightful uh, uh, things to look into there. Jezebel had bumped him back to identifying with his broken past. It tells you that he and his father were not so good. I thought I was improving. I'd stepped out of that brokenness and mess and I was better in ahead. But you know what? I'm just, I, I'm, my end is going to be just like my dad. And so Jezebel had called him to revert to his past old identity. And again, we see this thing. He was not a fathered spirit. Verse 5, then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. We'll stop there for a moment. Whatever angels did in scripture, they can still do now. The angel baked him a cake. It's the first biblical account of angel food cake. But this was real stuff. 
An angel comes, touches him, sees he's discouraged. He's greatly loved of God. We never forget that despite the failings of Elijah, he's greatly loved of God. And what he already has done has so touched the heart of God because it's been so brave what he already has done that we know, you know, he didn't experience death here. He was taken up to heaven. That's a unique individual, still honored in conversation into the New Testament. So there was something special uh, about Elijah. And we have to note that he had this, uh, this tender, sensitive spirit to the Lord that, uh, that caused him to be touched in this way, in the Lord's heart to be touched by him. So he sends an angel to encourage him. And he says, listen, the journey, and that word journey, if you look it up, is, you know, your assignment, your pending assignment is one of the things it can mean as well as, as journey. Because he was not on a journey that God had sent him. He's just running away, you know, frightened. So the Lord said, what you still have to do is too great for you. Prophetic church, prophetic people, our assignment is too great for us. But he has strength for us. There is a release of the angels even um, for us to help us in very practical ways. And so it says, he arose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. As far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Kind of means he had a 40 day fast after that, but it didn't really count because he was going on angel food power. And uh, even in that, he was strengthened for his mission, for his journey. He was not strengthened for what he just went and did. But he said he went to Horeb, the mountain of God. That word Horeb means desolation. He's still going <laughs> desolation. He's like where God has met him before, back to old experiences. You know, he wants to go back to his cave experiences, desolation experiences. And, and, and next verse, there he went into a cave. And spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You can use it. What are you doing here, Elijah? I think it's, Elijah, what are you doing here? I just had an angel come and give you angel food cake that has strengthened you to finish your mission. You've got Jezebel teetering. On the brink of death and elimination from this nation, you just took out the prophets of Baal. Finish the mission. Finish the assignment. And, and, and what does Elijah say? Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. Very true. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Again, he has this little bit morbid view, not real one. I'm the only one. He himself knows because Obadiah has told him he's met Obadiah, that Obadiah has a hundred prophets he's personally taken care of. He's feeding their hidden in caves. Nobody's touched him. But Elijah's like, well, I'm the only one. The only one syndrome. And that's part of an Elijah syndrome. What does God say in verse 11? He said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind torn to the mountains and broke into the rocks and pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still small voice. 
So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? The exact same question. Right after him experiencing and seeing strong wind, an earthquake, and fire. Particularly for him. This time the Lord said, I'm not in the fire. I'm just speaking to you. Still small voice. There's other... A whole other message on those four things, but we're not going to do that. That's not part of this particular one. So the Lord asked them again, what are you doing? And if you, they could have just put on verse 14. See verse 10. Because he says the exact same thing. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. These people that I could blowtorch in an instant. The Lord said to him, Go, return. That's part of a message. Right there. Could be a whole message on go return. Back to your mission. Go return. Go return. Go return. Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Uh Uh-oh. You've just been replaced, dude. Shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Interesting, it says the sword of Hazael, the sword of Jehu, but it's just Elisha will kill. Prophets don't need weapons. Their mouth is the weapon. Yet have I reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him well this is uh, so full of significance right here we'll cover a couple of things here he tells him again there's so much significance in the name Hazael is king over Syria Syria was their avowed enemy his name means God has seen so all these there's a working theme here God's salvation the Lord he is God God has seen he's about to intervene and we want to see here even application for us, the prophetic, uh, you know, the prophetic is not just for the household of God. It was not just for Israel. He chooses the kings of heathen nations. If you don't know it, Syria was a heathen nation. They were to be destruction. Hazel, the guy being anointed is going to hell. But he's still called by God and he's called to be anointed from the household of God. And things would change the instant a prophet would anoint him and pour oil on him. And then he's supposed to anoint Jehu in place of Ahab. The Lord's telling him, you took out Ahab's idol and God. He's now weak enough. He can be replaced. And then anoint Elisha. A couple of things on Elisha. We told you his name means God is salvation. It also goes into, means free man. And there's this thing of resource, resources and riches. And that's why he's a free man. He has plenty of provision for everything. Elisha is the son of Shaphath, or Shaphat, whichever one you'd like better. And neither one is correct Hebrew either. 
And his name means to rule, to judge, to govern. So this is a governing prophet. That's why I say it's an extension of the apostolic prophetic. A new prophetic that's involved in all matters of government and all matters of society. But he's a father prophetic. So he's an apostle prophet, as I'm saying. And where he comes from is Abel Mehola. You read that? It says he's Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Mehola. You know, all these things are never accidentally in the scripture. Abel Mehola means meadow of dancing. So this is the non-gloomy, the hopeful prophet. He comes from the meadow of dancing. And this prophetic will have more government authority than kings. Now, here's the reality. We mentioned some of this a couple of weeks ago. But in case you didn't pick it out, and we'll find out here shortly. We'll just tell you the punchline. You could read and find these things out. Is it not your understanding that even the reason the angel has strengthened him is for him now to go and finish his assignment? And that his first assignment is on your way out of here... You will anoint Hazael king of Syria. And Syria was presently the king at that time was a not good guy named Ben-Hadad. Means son of Hadad, which was their idol. Again, this thing is a, a battle between God and idols. And, and uh, it said Ben-Hadad is supposed to be knocked out. He's supposed to be out. And so Hazael is supposed to be there in his stead. And so you will go and you will anoint him. Well, as we told you before, Elijah didn't do so. Because of this, Hazael does not become king for another, I think, 15 years or so. These are the the timetables, what we're not that familiar with. He's supposed to then go anoint Jehu. Jehu does not become king for another over 15 years. Israel is buffeted by Jezebel... And Baal, there's almost returning some to Baal that takes place. It doesn't specifically say that, but there's some distortion taking place. Because Elijah didn't finish his commission, his mission. He was even anointed by an angel, but the intimidation, he had no resistance to the manipulation, intimidation of Jezebel. And so because of that, he could not finish uh, his assignment. And then he's supposed to anoint Elisha in his stead. We never see it happen that way. I don't know if it was acceptable before the Lord. You shall tell Elisha he's a prophet in your place. He never tells him that he's a prophet in his place. And there is... The sword of judgment is to come ultimately on Jezebel through these sources. All three of them were to be those who would attack Israel and take out Jezebel. Hazael... Would be something from the enemy. Jehu would even be from the household uh, of, uh, of Israel itself. And there's a whole application of the mountains. One's a mountain of religion. One's a mountain of government. And that's another application for another time, another place. And how that works together. There's all kinds of insights coming uh, that come out of this. But the killers, that which would take out Jezebel is not put in place because for another perspective, we could say this ties in, connects us with the old prophetic. The old prophetic, the only person he went and did anything, he went, we'll see, he goes and puts the mantle on Elisha. It's like, uh, you know, the mountain of religion. Whatever happens in the household of God, that's what I do. 
I mean, what's, who cares who's kings and presidents and things like that? And because he doesn't penetrate into the tops of the mountains, he doesn't penetrate into government, Jezebel's not dealt with. You can't just deal with Jezebel by doing stuff in church. And Elijah's the old prophetic that doesn't get that. But the spirit of Elijah that then follows into Elisha understands. That's why his very own name, son of Shaphat, son of rule, government. So he departs, verse 19. I, well, there's symbolism to there's 7,000 that have not bowed. Verse 18 of 19. I have 7,000. I have Sheba thousand. Remember, he went to Beersheba first. Sheba is seven. I have Sheba thousand who have not bowed to Baal. He's like, you think you are alone, but I have swelled. That word even uh, I have is I have swelled up. I have placed. I have raised up. I am sovereign, sovereignly released. I have swelled up. I have raised up a thousand per mountain. Connecting it to the seven mountains. With authority. In scripture, the thousand is often not meant to be particularly the Hebraic understanding, is not meant to be a number of exact a thousand. It's meant to be a number of plenty. You know, one will put a thousand to flight. Two, ten thousand. So thousands a lot. Thousands shall fall at thy side. It's not talking literal thousands specifically. There's like a lot. So it's like, listen, I have the mountains. I'm going to raise up what I need to invade every sector of society. Jezebel is not going to be a big deal. So, verse 19, where does, Elisha, where does Elijah go? He departs from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. So much there. We're connecting this even with the year 2012. And I believe it's strongly so. And 12 is a number of government. And this is what the Lord spoke to me for this Rosh Hashanah that started just a couple of months ago. This new year that uh, the, the archangel of the mountain of government had now been released. And he was going to be a force on planet earth. And we're seeing since then three uh, major leaders in government have been removed. Three major ones plus several other ones. It's Muammar Gaddafi, uh, Greece's prime minister, Italy's prime minister, Bo, Bo, uh, Bertolini, whatever his name is. Silvio, huh? What'd you call him? Berlusconi um, um, in, in Italy. And so there's like, there's activation by powers and, uh, from our side invading into government. Our whole, our, everything is changing in our own elections. I don't have clear voice from God where this is all going. But it is interesting that two of the top three candidates are from Georgia. Um, Newt Gingrich and Herman Cain. I don't know if you thought through that. Uh, from our own city is where we have two of the three top candidates in our, in our nation. Two Atlantans, or I don't know if they'd consider themselves ultimately Atlantans, but that's where they hang out a lot, and a Mormon. So that's what's going on right now from the Republican side. Again, there's a lot more, a lot more process, a lot more surprises, twists and turns going on to this thing. So Elisha is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Told you 12 is the number of government. And he's plowing. It's all this connection with government, invading government, being part of government. It's going to connect ultimately when we get into the part of Atlanta and where we have to go even with what God has given us. And Elisha was plowing with the 12th. He was with the 12th. This is part of the new thing that's being um, released. And 
Then it says Elijah passed by him, threw his mantle on him, throws his mantle on him, and then he just leaves him. And so Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah. You know, he's like, anoint him, tell me he's in your place. He just throws the mantle and just goes on. We're a little temperamental dude here, uh, Elijah, Elijah is. And so Elisha has to go after him. He says, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. He was a little bit more here just to see the difference of the makeup of Elijah. He is clearly, he's rooted, founded, connected. He works. He has people around him. He has teams. He's working with teams. He's just a different type of person and being. And, 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 and you know, Elijah the loner comes and just throws this thing. And then Elisha says, listen, see, you'll see the difference here. Elijah says, I am no better than my father's. And Elisha says, can I go kiss my father? See, he's a fathered individual, fathered prophetic. There is, uh, he just lives in a different way. He doesn't live a loner. He then like, well, I'm done with this. Let's have a party. And so he kills two big oxen and all the team working with them. He has, you know, they, they have a luau, barbecue ribs, whatever it is. They, they ate there. And then he follows Elijah, becomes a servant. He's an entirely different type of individual, but he's now carrying the spirit of Elijah. He will be, is what takes place. And so there's so much to learn from that. Okay, try to find the, the wrap-up point here so we can have a ministry uh, time. Even that last phrase, then he arose and followed Elijah. And depending on what version of the Bible you have, and ministered to him, what it says, the one I was actually studying, and became his servant. He's coming to serve him, but he's ministering. He realizes Elijah needs ministered to himself. And Elijah is so fathered and so secure, he doesn't need the warm and fuzzies from Elijah. And um, that's just another insight there. He's, he's so secure that Elisha, Elijah's going to be trying to get rid of him the whole time. Uh, you know, when he's following him, he says, stay here. He says, no, I'm not. I'm following you. I want double portion of your spirit. Well, you've asked, that's a tough thing. I don't know if that can happen. If you can keep up with me. And then he tries to, you know, another place. And, and you know, they, I won't go to there to save time, but they like three or four different stops. Everywhere they go, the sons of the prophets, the prophets are all over the place now. Because of the confrontation with Baal, there is a culture of the prophets are all over the place. We could even read in a couple chapters later, Ahab has now 400 prophets, in quote, of God. He can't have them of Baal anymore. So they're, in quote, of God, but they tell him everything he wants to know. They're pretend ones. They're still under Jezebel's influence. But the sons of the prophets say, Elisha, uh, don't you know the Lord's going to take your master to heaven today? He goes, silence, I know that. Hush. And he, he you know, he follows... Him from place to place where Elijah tells him nothing except, you know, if you see me when I go, then you can have a double portion of the spirit. I want to look at just the closing part of when he's actually taken. Because there's the, again, there's the insight for us there at 2 Kings 9. Actually... Different parties in Second Kings nine. 
early on in Second Kings. I think it's two or three, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the Lord takes him up and... I was one, it's 12 is what you're right. That's where I was wanting to look. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he took hold of his own clothes and he took up the mantle of Elijah. And they said, the prophets then said, verse 15, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And uh, it's just so interesting, the, uh, um, the reality that he's... He really ends up spending a few years with Elijah, but he clearly, my father, my father. He, because he's fathered, he easily gets fathered. See, that's one thing that's hard to be fathered when you haven't been fathered. So Elijah had that difficulty, but Elisha is all about that. That's why it's this extension of this spirit, the spirit of Elijah, turning the hearts of the fathers to the sons, the sons to the fathers. And there's uh, multiple applications, um, application for that. But I do have to uh, take you now to Second Kings 9. We have to close it there because we've got to do it with Jehu and then do a prayer tied into that. Just This just becomes a, a good place to, uh, to close it up. If somebody has, let me see if my, I could not get my iPad to work. If I don't get it to work right now and get online. I don't know if anybody else is having trouble getting online. All you people texting while I'm preaching and stuff. But... Um, Okay, good. I'm going to do an experiment soon where we'll just do, send me questions while I'm preaching and we'll just go back, we'll try something new. It will not. All right. If somebody can do a search on whatever you have and whoever's, and then I'll see if it's, if it's good. Yeah, it won't open right now. It would be for an antonym for intimidated. Not the synonym, but the antonym for intimidated. And I need to use that when it's ministry time. So I'll call on whoever has it. If you have it first, just say, got it. And and that you're willing to come up here. Then everybody else can stop looking and you can listen to me. Um, All right. Want to take you to second Kings nine. Again, we have to just lay out. This is the reality. Ahab has now died. He has now had a son and then another son you know, he was supposed to be the last guy. This is 15 years ago, Jehu was supposed to be in. But Elijah did not finish his commission. He did not finish, well, what he was supposed to do in that sense. So Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, so he's working with the sons of the prophets, get yourself ready, take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go and make him rise from among his associates and take him to an inner room, then take the flask of oil, pour it on his head and say, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and run and do not delay. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he arrived there, the captains of the armies were sitting around. Jehu is clearly an important man. He's a a commander or captain or something. He serves Ahab very closely. And he says, I have a message for you, commander. That would say he's commander. Jehu said, for which one of us? He said, for you, commander. Then he arose and went to the house and he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the Lord of God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. You will strike down the house of Ahab, your master. 
that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. Just a point, it just comes to me in memory. You know, when it goes to Revelation eleven fifteen, it says, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. And it then goes on to say how he has vindicated his prophets. And so there's this thing about the, the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdom of our God with Jezebel being dealt uh, with in the prophet's word and what they've stood for being vindicated. And here it says, uh, Ahab and Jezebel would be killed to avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets. Verse 8, for the whole house of Ahab shall perish and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. I will make the house of Ahab like this. Other house of Jeroboam and Basha in verse 10. The dogs shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. Jehu came to the servant and said, Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? Apparently, he was a fairly emotional prophet himself, the son of the prophet that came. He says, Oh, you know, the man in his babble. And they said, A lie? Tell us now. He says, Well, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. And they're all saying, Ah, oh, the jerk, joker, what, prophet, you know, it's like Ahab's prophets. He's got around here, one of these. And then they said, he just told me I'm prophet. Then each man hastened to take his garment, put it under him on the top of the steps. Steps That is, they're, they're fixing themselves up because they're now in the presence of royalty. And they blew trumpets saying, Jehu is king. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram, who was now the son of Ahab uh, there. And so then he goes and, and, and he kills uh, Joram, Jehu does, just to, we don't have to read through all this. There is, we want to take note in verse 20 that Jehu, there is a, a particularity about him that he rides his chariots in a furious way. So the watchman reported saying, he went up to them and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. That has to be part of the spirit of Jehu. He drives furiously with intention and, and uh, unintimidation. And so, uh, and he comes by and he's, he's taking care of, you know, Joram says, are you coming in peace, Jehu? And, and he's verse 23 he says, what peace? As long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. So it's the daughter, the son of Jezebel is now king of Israel because Jezebel wasn't dealt with 15 years before. Then Joram, Joram turned and fled and said to the other king, said, there's treachery here. That's interesting. He who is a, a, a the author of treason is accusing of treachery. And so Jehu tells his captain to, uh, to kill him. And so they're, you know, he, he's going, he's executing the kings that aren't supposed to be there. But the place we have to get to is verse 30 when he takes out Jezebel. And then we, this is, has to be our point of ministry time. And when Jehu, this verse 30 of 2 Kings 9. And when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. So much uh, there also. She came, she puts paint on her eyes, adorns her head. She's always disguising herself anyway. That's part of uh, the, the spiritual uh, point that's, that's happening there. But she puts paint on her eyes. She's emphasizing her eyes. She adorns her head and she looks through a window. Then as Jehu entered at the gate, she said, is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? What's so interesting, Zimri, about two kings before Ahab, there was a master 
a commander, a person that had a similar position as Jehu had with Ahab, who he killed the king. And in seven days, the people arose and killed him and put in Omri. So Zimri reigned only seven days because he did what Jehu did and the people came and took care of him. So we want to see this thing about Jezebel. She is intimidating. She uses poise, intimidation, manipulation, control to the last second. She, she is facing death. She can see the writing on the wall. Jehu has just come and he has taken out her son. He's, 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 he's you know, sent by the Lord. He is anointed by the prophets and he has taken them out one by one. And she's like, she calls him Zimri as her last act of intimidation. And, and she's painted her eyes and she's looking poised. And does he blink? Verse 32, and he looked up at the window and said, who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked at him. Then he said, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her children out of here. Blood spattered on the wall and on the horses and he trampled her underfoot. And when he had gone in, he ate and drank. Jehu's a different type. Then he said... Go now, see to this accursed woman, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and feet and palms of her hands. Therefore they came back and told them and said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. It's the original prophetic word of Elijah, but it delays 15 years, because he wouldn't go and anoint who was supposed to execute it. And the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field in the plot at Jezreel. So they shall not say, here lies Jezebel. So there's going to be no resting place for her. Her remains are, uh, you know, compost fertilizer for what grows there. And, and um, anybody find yet intimidation? You've got it, uh, Rachel. Can I... Can I just see if, if, if I like what they say? No. Yeah. And this is where we want to just, I want to do a prayer of ministry time to you. Because the moment of confrontation, the moment where the, uh, you know, there's the, the truths are all throughout through the things I was speaking to you about. The difference between Elijah and Elisha and you identifying even yourself. If you're one of those uh, uh, or have been uh, the, the loner, temperamental, uh, can get uh, depressed, oppressed. One of the main uh, items, issues of the Elijah Spirit, the bad part of it, is is isolation. And so, loner isolation. So, it's just real practical. You overcome that by being, you know, the wisdom of mountain climbing. You're roped with someone else. You don't just, you don't develop that complex. You don't live that way. It's like, you're not the only eagle, uh, you know, on the tree. And the Lord is, I believe we have an eagle's nest here. This is a, a, a house of the prophets and prophetic people and multiple applications of that. And so you take advantage of it. I think most of you are. And see this, again, this word gets out to others. And so this is for instruction, encouragement to others. This is one of the practical ways you have, uh, you protect your spirit so that when Jezebel, can you imagine if he was able to talk to somebody, 
He didn't talk to anybody. He wouldn't even talk to a servant. Jezebel says, you are going to die. You know, if he had had a few buddies around, like just what I've been trying to tell him all, all night is, dude, you just call fire from heaven. Why are you afraid of Jezebel? Are you now changed your mind? Who is God? Is it Baal or your God? What your name means? And he's like, oh, thanks, man. I was under a spell. That's really literally what he was. This is under a spell, but he's under a spell because he had that insecurity from inside because there's an unfathered spirit. And so he was susceptible.